for, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Heath Wilson. I'm one of your pastors here at Hillcrest. Uh, I'm uh, responsible for the family ministry, so I'm the family pastor over our Spanish Trail campus. So anytime I get to be here at Nine Mile, it's a treat, and I'm excited uh, to be with you here this morning. For those of you over at our Spanish Trail campus, uh, I miss you guys. Uh, I wish I was there with you, uh, but, and I love you, and I can't wait to see you either this Wednesday or, uh, or next Sunday. And so I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, go easy on Dan Davis when I'm not around uh, to make his job a little bit easier. For those of you who are viewing online, we want to welcome you as well. I hope you got your Bible, and I hope you got a cup of coffee, and sit down with us as we uh, study God's Word together. It was about a year and a half ago, November 2018, when my family and I, we decided to pick up our lives, answer God's call to come here to Hillcrest to serve. And as soon as we had decided that we were going to go and do this, we began to pray that God would give us a love and an affection for this church. One of the most important things that a pastor can have is that he actually loves the church that he serves. And so, I stand here this morning grateful that God has answered that prayer. I can say with all of my heart that I love this church. And when I say this church, I don't mean the, the walls, the bricks, the carpet, the pews. That stuff, you know, you can take it or leave it. What I love, I love the people of Hillcrest. I love every Sunday morning getting to talk with Jim Burkhart, Duck Welsh, Alan King, before all the people come in to the church house. I love spending 20, 30 minutes just chatting with those guys. I love going and doing door-to-door evangelism with Julia Robinson and Dan Davis as we get to pray for our neighbors and we get to share the love of Christ with them. I love talking with our college students. If you don't know any of our college students here at Hillcrest, you need to get to know a college student. The passion they have to reach their campus for the gospel is inspiring. I love Dalton Smith. You guys know Dalton Smith over here at Nine Mile? I know our Spanish trail do, they, they know him. I love the energy and the passion that he has as he leads us to the throne of God every single Sunday. He's got so much energy and he just kind of bounces all across the stage. He's excited and, and it, it energizes me. You know, there's been a couple of times I, I actually thought that he forgot he was in a Baptist church. Uh, it's almost like he turned a little bit of Bapticostal for a second. Um, there was this one time I can remember, he was jumping up, he got into his rhythm, he had his guitar going, and I thought he was actually going to come up out of his shoes and leave them on the ground. But I looked down, they were double knotted, that's why they didn't come out, they, were, they had a double knot. I love Dalton, and I love the way that he serves our church through leading us to the throne of God in music each and every Sunday over at our Spanish Trail campus. I love Eric Mitchell, the respect and the reverence he has for God's word as he opens it each and every week, whether it be in a connect group or a growth group, sometimes here in the pulpit. The way he loves God and loves his word is evident and inspiring, and I love that about Eric. I love Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, how he cares for us as a staff. Many of us, we don't get to to hear sermons each and every week. And so every Tuesday, he leads us and guides us in a time where we can be spiritually fed. He loves the staff that serve underneath them. I love this church. But it's not just the people of the church I love. It's what we stand for, our, our mission statement, the reason we exist. We exist to help people in becoming like Christ. 
And if you're new this morning, you, the first time you've been here, or maybe you just kind of ha- had your head under a rock and you have forgotten why we exist as a church, we exist to help people in becoming like Christ. It's simple, but it's biblical. And it's refreshing in a day and age when so many churches are doing so many things that aren't biblical. We exist to help people in becoming like Christ. In fact, let's just get a little audience participation. Why don't we? You know, like I said, at Spanish Show, we like to mix things up. So why don't everyone stand up on your feet? I think we're going to get the, uh, are we going to get the, um, the mission statement here on the big screen? I think the guys have it back there for us. Let's just go ahead and say this together, okay? Loud and proud. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God connecting with others, and serving the world. You can go ahead and have a seat. That is exactly what we do. And for us, it's, it's more than just a statement on a card or a wall or a screen. It's who we are. We are a church of servants. And that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, who we are. We are worshipers of God. We connect with others. And today we're going to talk about the final core value, how we serve. And I just want you to think one second how you've been served in the last hour or so that you've been on campus. Maybe you pulled up in a car and there was a lady or a gentleman outside helping you find a parking spot. They're serving you. Over here at our nine mile campus, maybe you had to park in the back 40 way out there and you had someone in a golf cart serve you by bringing you closer to the front door. Someone opened the door for you to come in. They served you, they put a bulletin in your hand. Maybe you had a cup of coffee like I did this morning. If you can't tell, I've had about four cups of coffee. So I'm ready to go. Someone served you by making that cup of coffee so that you didn't have to make it yourself. Maybe you have kids. And so you dropped your kids off. And this very moment, you and your family, your children are being served by someone in our preschool, our kids ministry department. And they're keeping your kids safe. They're teaching your kids the Bible. They're sharing the gospel with them in this very moment. You're being served. Just, just recently, in the last couple of minutes, these talented musicians, they have served you by leading us to the throne of God so we can worship him together as a congregation. All across our experiences here at Hillcrest, we're being constantly served. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, there are people who are giving up their time, their energy, including their money to serve you. We are a church of servants. But I think you would agree with me. There are sometimes we forget why we are supposed to serve. Or, 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 or maybe we don't know the example or the pattern that we should follow when we serve. Or, or, or maybe we don't know the purpose of our serving or how to serve. And so today, if you'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to answer how we can become more like Christ through our service. And we're going to see that because we have been served, we humbly serve. Simple today. Because we have been served, we humbly serve. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. You read silently and I will read aloud. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The author of this book of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he begins this great section on service by causing us to reflect on our experiences that we have had as being a part of God's family, being a part of a local congregation. And he does so by asking us several questions. He poses four questions, but he he already knows the answer to the question. What he's trying to get at is he's trying to help us to think a little bit. He's asking thought-provoking questions. And he asks four of them. So he says, is there any encouragement in Christ? And so, just as the Apostle Paul posed that question, I pose that question to you. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Have you been encouraged by being in Christ? And, and the answer is obviously yes. Ephesians 1 tell us that, tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our transgressions and in our sins, but Christ made us alive. We were God's enemies. He, he brought us in to his side of the team. The fact that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin that characterizes you and me in our fallen state. Instead, he sees the perfection of Christ laid on top of you. He sees you with Christ's righteousness. And if that can't get you fired up today, I don't know what can. That is the most exciting and encouraging thing that I could tell you this morning, that Christ sees you, God sees you perfect course there's encouragement in Christ. Is there any comfort from love? Well, yeah. Love is is one of the most comforting interactions that you could have. Think of the love and the comfort that a child feels when they scrape their elbow or they get scared and they run, run to their mom or to their dad. And there's a loving embrace that happens and the comfort that comes over that child. Well, yeah, there's comfort in love and even more so in God's love. You may be here today, and you may be where that song we just sang a second ago had us. Flesh and heart, they're failing. You may be in the middle of a trial this morning, and the only thing that gets you up and gets you going is the fact that you've been comforted with God's love. Yes, of course we've been comforted in love. Is there participation in the Spirit? The Spirit there is a, re- is a reference to the Holy Spirit and, and, and the fact that He has brought us in to the family of God for us to participate with one another. The, the word participation there, it, it means fellowship. It's the word where we get our, 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 our word fellowship from. The intimate reaction that happens when you sit down around a table in your connect group or your growth group. That fellowship, that intimate connection isn't just something we do over at the fellowship hall when we eat fried chicken, and we enjoy banana pudding, and then we have the audacity to say, hey, God, may this food bless our body. I don't think it's gonna do much blessing of our body. Maybe our souls, but maybe not our body. 
as I'm a testament to. So, yeah, there's participation. There's fellowship in the Holy Spirit. He's brought us into this fellowship and this relationship with one another. Is there affection and sympathy? Is there? Have you felt affection and sympathy for God's people in God's church? Well, if you haven't, let me, let me suggest you do something. Get to know somebody in God's church. Because what usually happens is when we get to know someone and we have an authentic conversation with them and we have fellowship with them through the Holy Spirit, we have affection and sympathy for them. And they thus have it for us as well. Of course there's affection and sympathy. And so, because of all these things, because they are true, Paul says, this is the reason for which you should serve. He's reminding us of all these things and these things then serve as the basis for our service. Because here's what happens oftentimes. We serve and we, we serve with improper motives. We serve because we want to self-validate. We want to feel good about ourselves. Or, or, or maybe we serve because we want to impress God, earn a little bit of extra grace at his hands. Or, or maybe we serve because we want to impress somebody else. We want to, we want to look good in someone else's eyes. Maybe you serve because those pesky pastors, they come all around asking you, hey, can you serve in this ministry? Can you serve in this ministry? Can you serve in this ministry? And you just got sick of us, and so you just kind of said, well, I'm gonna say yes to something to get you off my back. Well, the problem with serving with those motivations is that your service is nothing more than service. It's a kind act. We're grateful for it. But it ceases to be worship. When you serve out of an overflow, a gratitude in your heart for what God has done, for what your church has done, and how you have received so much, you've been served in such a great way, and you say, all I can do is, is serve. Pastor Jim, Pastor Eric, Pastor Doug, Pastor Dan, where can I go? Put me to work. I want to serve. And that's worship. My prayer for the volunteers that I oversee is that each and every Sunday or Wednesday when they come in to serve in the Lord's house, that they'll do it as an act of worship, not out of an, an, an act of begrudgery because they've been asked to do so. But they would do it out of worship. So we humbly serve because we have been served. That is our purpose in serving. But it doesn't just stop there. He then goes and talks to us, Paul does, about the end result or the purpose of serving. We humbly serve, point number two, for unity within the body. Verse two, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Since we have encouragement in Christ, since we have comfort from love, since we have fellowship through the Holy Spirit, since we have affection and joy, we are now able to serve. And the purpose, the end result of our service is unity in the body. Now, it's, it's a bit interesting here because Paul says, complete my joy because all these things are true, which if you look at it at first glance, that seems a bit self-seeking on Paul's part. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, because all these things are true, you need to make me joyful. You need to make me happy. That, that, seems, a little bit, that seems a little bit unkosher to put it in layman's terms. That doesn't seem right. Well, what on first appearance looks as if Paul is being self-seeking is actually evidence of Paul's wise and pastoral heart. 
He loves the church of Philippi. Much like Pastor Jim, much like your pastors here, they love the church of Hillcrest. And he knows, the Apostle Paul knows, that the best thing for this church is that they're unified. Unity is the best way forward. And so he says to do this, you need to be unified. That is going to be the way in which you complete my joy. And he says, he says being unified in, in a kind of an interesting way. He uses a word picture. Be of the same mind. Uh, if you were to do a more direct translation from the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, you would see the verb to think. The idea is, Paul is saying we need to think similar ways and similar thoughts. But it's not just an intellectual exercise, this word think. It actually involves the emotions and the passions and your volition and your will. And it all comes together for affecting your outlook at life, your attitude. So what he's saying here is you need to be going in the same direction. You need to all be on the same page, which is something my two-year-old son and I are very rarely on at the same time. I have a, a lovely, beautiful young son. Lucas is his name. If you go to the daycare, he's gonna be the cutest kid back there. That's my son. He gets it from his mom, not me. Lucas and I, just two days ago, we were out in the backyard. Friday was a beautiful day outside, so we were out there playing around, and I was sitting there reading, and the boys were playing, he and my oldest son. And I look up, and because he, he called my attention, Lucas did, and he's got a, a baseball bat in one hand, he's got a, a baseball in another hand, and at his feet stood a baseball tee. And he said, Dad, let's play football. And I said, oh, okay, that, how cute. You know, he doesn't know what baseball and football is. So I said, yeah, let, let's play baseball. I'd love to play baseball with you. And he said, no, 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 let's, let's play football. And I kind of looked at him and I corrected him. I said, no, no, son, that's, that's baseball. And we did this about three times and he began to get increasingly frustrated with me. And I finally just said, okay, you know what? We're just gonna forget it. Hey, let's, let's play some baseball, buddy. Let's go. And I got up out of my chair and I went toward him and he out of frustration, he just threw the bat down, threw the ball down, and then he ran over to a football and said, fine, let's play baseball. <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, Lucas, you and I are obviously not on the same page. We do not have one mind when it comes to the difference between baseball and football. Christ doesn't want that to be our reality in our church, in this congregation. Instead of being on different pages going in different directions, he wants us to be like a well-trained rowing team. You ever seen a rowing team when they row in the Olympics? They all are going at the same cadence, in unison, going in one direction to, to achieve one specific goal. That's what Paul has in mind here. That's what Christ has in mind for us as Hillcrest Baptist Church, that we are going in one direction. We have one mind. We are thinking the same. And the way in which we do that is, is by serving one another. And we're going to get to the how of service just here in one second. But suffice it to say that we all have desires. We all have wants. We all have interests. And many times those desires, those wants, those interests, they're not, they're not bad in and of themselves. But they can become very, very bad and very destructive and even demonic when we're willing to do anything and everything we can to have those desires met, to have our interests met. 
And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how we should do things. The book of James is clear uh, with us on this matter. James chapter four, it says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not ask, because you, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So right there, James hits us pretty directly right here in the forehead. And he says, the reason that so many churches are in a constant state of conflict, the the very reason that there might be even subsections in this church, people, individuals in this church that are constantly in conflict with other people, is because they have desires. And they have interests. And they have wants. And they don't just stop there. They're willing to do anything and everything to have those desires met. And when you act like that, when you live like that, you kill any chance that we're going to have unity at Hillcrest Baptist Church. And so don't act like that way. Don't be that way. Paul is telling us. James is telling us. Instead, look to other people. Look to their interests. Look to their desires. Look to their passions. And by doing so, we will be unified. We will be the light on a hill that God intends us to be. We will be the church where people come and they see, as Pastor Jim always says, a little slice of heaven on earth. But to do so, it requires us to think outside of ourselves in our own self-interest and to put others first. So we've seen the, the why, our motivations for serving. We've seen the purpose for, for our service. And now we're gonna look at the third point. We humbly serve by counting others more important than ourselves. You humbly serve by counting others more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So because we have been served... Because we're going in one direction to have unity within our body, to not be going in all types of directions, we then get to the real nuts and bolts of how we actually do this, the how of service. And we do it by counting others as more significant, more important than ourselves. And Paul does this with two verses, two sentences. And in the first part, the first phrase of each sentence He talks about the enemy or what prevents us from having a servant-hearted attitude. And then he addresses what will actually allow us to walk in service to one another. Selfish ambition, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing inherently. It can be very bad when you do it for a selfish motive. It's the person who has desires and they have wants, but it's not for God and his kingdom. It's for their own glory their own vain glory, their own honor. They want to be at the pinnacle and they want everyone looking at them. Paul says don't do this. He's already called out people like this in chapter one when he talks about those who preach the right gospel for the wrong motives, to hurt the apostle Paul, to somehow afflict him in chapter one, verses 17. Paul says don't do anything 
motivated by selfish ambition. Or conceit. Doesn't everyone love to be around a conceited individual? Doesn't that just brighten your day to be around someone who thinks that the whole world revolves around them? And they believe in this false idea. They, they, they believe it to be true. And thus they act like an absolute fool when people don't actually do what they think ought to be done. They think that they are there to be served. And so when people don't actually serve them, they get upset. They think that they, <clears throat> they deserve all the entitlements. But when they don't get the entitlement, what do they do? They lose their mind. The thing is, we all are conceited in our own ways. We're all conceited in our own ways. We all have times, some more, some less, when we live in a conceited fashion. Paul says, don't do anything like that. I think of the person, they pull up to Walmart, which Walmart's a great place to go. I love Walmart, but man, it can be a stressor. That's why my wife goes to Target. I go to Walmart, though, because I, I like to save the, the Benjamins. And you, you get the person that pulls in in front of you to get that spot just a little bit closer, and what do you do? You just lose your mind. It's just like you go from a totally different person because they got my spot. That's my spot. Or you go into a, 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 a restaurant, and you expect your waiter or your waitress to serve you in a specific manner, and if they dare not do it just how you want it, you're going you're gonna to leave a tip. Or you're going to call their manager over, and you're going to try to get them fired because they didn't serve you the way you wanted to be served. That, that's conceit. Or, or maybe you come into the church house, and you say, oh, Brad, I didn't like that song. Now, you know that Hillcrest revolves around me. We help people at Hillcrest in becoming more like me. And so I would like Brad, I would like you, Dalton, to sing this song. And if you don't sing this song, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take my tithe money elsewhere. That's conceit. Or, or maybe it's, you know, the daycare. Because the church revolves around you. The daycare, it's gotta open. The child, the child care, the preschool ministry, it's gotta open five minutes earlier so that I can talk to my friends in the hallway because I deserve that break. I've been with my kids all week, so you need to open up a little bit early for me. Is it quiet in here or is it just me? <laughs> we all think this way. We all think this way. And I think the important thing that we need to understand is that because we all think this way, if you're willing to admit that you many times operate out of selfish ambition, conceit, you don't look to others' interests but your own interests, I think if you are humble enough to admit that, God can do a lot with you. The reality is we just don't want to admit it. We would never want to admit that. But Christ calls us to a more elevated, more majestic way of living, living Humbly, by saying, you know what? It doesn't matter if I like the songs or if I like pews versus chairs. It doesn't matter about me.
because this church doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna do whatever I can to exalt his name. It doesn't matter if someone forgot to make the coffee this week, forgot to buy the donuts. I mean, that's a big offense, not buying the donuts. But you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overlook it I, because the church doesn't revolve around me and my preference for donuts or coffee because I'm here to exalt Christ and Christ is the only one that deserves to be exalted. And so I'm gonna do whatever I can to worship and serve and exalt his name. That's the attitude. That's the, the better, the, the more majestic, the higher elevated way of living is to stop looking at your own interest and to start looking at the interest of others. And the way in which you do that is you have to first admit that you do live selfishly. Um, but the good thing is, there is grace, there is help when you go to the throne of God. And you say, I'm done trying to change myself. Because here's the thing, self-help is futile. If you're trying to make yourself less selfish, less conceited, less arrogant, less all about me, Good luck with that. It is not going to work. It is futile to try to help yourself when the only help that's gonna actually affect change is from outside of yourself. And that is the gospel. That is the grace of the Lord Jesus when he comes upon you and you in a humble spirit say, God, change me. God, change me. Please don't make me that type of person. That's when you're going to change. That's when we as a congregation are gonna walk into this place and we're gonna say, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what my brother wants or my sister wants. It matters what Christ wants and I'll do whatever it takes for Christ to be exalted. That is the attitude that we have to have, brothers and sisters. And, and can I just go ahead and confess? Like I'm the worst at this. I'm not sitting up here in a judgmental spirit saying, you all need to get better. You know what's funny? You know what's actually really funny? Is earlier this week I was studying and I was just like, man, mm, these people need to hear this. This is good stuff right here. <laughs> and then I don't know how we got in my, in my office, but the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, buddy, they may need to hear it, but you need to hear it more. Because you're the most conceited all of all of you. And so humbly come to God's throne for grace and help in time of need. We humbly serve by counting others more important than ourselves. And then the final point, because God uh, knows that we have a hard time getting the point across, he, he inserts this wonderful poem through the hand of Paul in verses five through 11. It was most likely a poem that was circulated around the early church. And, uh, and it's one of the four Christological passages of the New Testament. If you want the other three, come up afterwards and I'll, uh, I'll tell you the other three. But it's, it's a great passage. And he, and he says, you know what? Because you, don't, you may not get the point, let me give you an example. And if you think, how could he be more elevated? And how could he raise the bar even more? He says, well, here's your example. You need to have the humility of Christ. We serve with Christ as, as the example. Christ as our pattern. It does it in the most beautiful way. <clears throat> look at me, look with me in verse, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In verse five, he says, have this mind. Remember we talked about mind in verse two? It's not just any mind. It's not just going in any direction together. It's having, going in the direction of Christ and his mind and what he wants and what he desires. And he says, it's ours. It's ours for the taking. If you are in Christ, you can have the mind of Christ. It's not impossible. Even though it seems impossible to think and live in such a selfless way, it's, it's yours for the taking. You just gotta reach out and grab it. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and then the beautiful poem. Four points, four things, four aspects about this poem that I wanna, I wanna mention. First, Christ's divinity. Christ's divinity. Although he was in the form of God. Form here, it, it might trip us up a little bit. We might think form as being something appearing a certain way but not having the essence or the substance. That's exactly the opposite of what this word means. It means having the exact nature, the exact essence, the exact substance. Christ, who is God. The Son, co-eternal with the Father. Worthy of praise. Worthy to be exalted. Worthy to be served, not served. I think one guy, one 21st century pop culture figure, he, he just said that Jesus is king. And, and that's the reality. Jesus is king, Jesus is divine. But then he made a decision, Christ's decision. Although he was entitled to be treated as a king, he didn't set aside his divine nature, but he set aside his divine privileges of being worshiped and honored and glorified. And he took on the form of a servant, the form of a man. Here's that word again, form. He took on, he didn't leave his divine nature, he took it with him. And he added to it his human nature. And so he is one person Two natures, God is, Jesus is God and Jesus is man. He didn't hold on to what he was entitled to, but he said, I will give it up. I will let it go. I will empty myself, taking the form of a servant. And that decision led to Christ's death. Christ's death on Calvary's hill. On a cross, it was put on his back and he was lifted up. But if you look at that, if you look at him, if you look at Golgotha's tree this morning, he wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you new life. He said, I will pay for the sins that you owe. I'll pay that debt. I'll be put on a tree. I will die in your place. And brothers and sisters, if you're here today, if you haven't accepted Christ, if you're still checking out this Christianity thing, let me urge you, let me plead with you today, look upon Christ because his death is the only way that you can have life and life eternal. And he died. But he didn't stay dead long, amen. For three days he was in that tomb. For three days hell, they celebrated. For three days heaven mourned. For three days those disciples, they lived in fear. But what happened on that third day? On that third day he came up from the grave. He raised heaven, they celebrated hell. They were trembling and fearing. 
Those disciples were encouraged to see their Savior come through that door. He was raised. He was exalted. Christ's exaltation came when he decided to give everything, including his own life. And that's the Christian faith. That's what our faith is all about. The one who comes in here seeking to be served, they will be brought low. And the one who comes in in a low, humble, servant-like spirit, they, they will be exalted. If you want to become like Christ, you have got to serve. You've got to serve with the proper motivations. You've got to serve with a proper end and goal. You've got to serve properly. And then you have to follow the perfect example of Christ.